Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'd like to thank you all once again for tuning in. Lord knows you have plenty of MMA-related material you could be consuming, and you choose this as at least part of your experience, so thank you very much. I deeply appreciate it. On the agenda this particular evening, a review of last night's event, such as it was... What a catastrophe that event was, man, in so many ways. Not all of them, but we'll get into that. Uh, The preview of this upcoming event, which is... uh, It exists, uh, and we'll get into it. Your main event for that, if that goes short, it should be at least entertaining. Uh, The main event is Derek Lewis and Alexi Olenek, so weirdness potential abounds. Uh... Let's hope for a little bit of weirdness then, because, eh, that's fun. Uh, Then, as far as news goes, a few fights got announced or moved. Uh, Some of them very, very relevant. So, I think, so, minor bits of news. Nothing too crazy, I believe, at the moment. So, let's go ahead and get, oh, sorry, before we get fully into that proper, uh, I don't go into personal stuff too much here because I figure you guys don't care, but indulge me just a little bit. Uh, congratulations go out to one of my younger brothers who got married on thurs- this last Thursday. Uh, again, I, 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 this doesn't mean a whole lot to most of you, I know, but I'm very proud of him, so figured I'd use this platform to just throw a brief congratulations out to the two of the, to my brother and his now wife. So... Throwing that out there. All right. Uh, let's start with yesterday's card, because good grief. UFC on ESPN plus 31. Um, okay, before we talk about the fights that happened, we have to talk about the about what went on with this card. So, last week we mentioned that the main event was Derek Brunson and Edmund Shabazian, which was a replacement main event. It was originally the co-main event after Irene Aldana and Holly Holm fell apart because Aldana tested positive for COVID. Over the week, pretty much, we had a few other fights get changed out due to various issues. Uh, Where do we want to start? The fights that I was looking forward to, actually, so let's start there. Um, Timur Valiev, who, if you haven't seen his stuff in World Series of Fighting or the Professional Fighters League, as it's now known, very, very talented guy. Very interested. I was very much looking forward to his debut. Uh, he pull, fell out just a couple of days away from the event and was replaced with Vincent Cachero. He fought Jamal Emmers. And we'll get to the specific results uh, as the event, uh, as we get into the review proper. Um, Ray Borg pulled out of his fight with Nathan Manus. Uh... Borg was removed at the the day of the weigh-ins. Um, a few days before the event, there was a fight between uh, Eric Spicely and Marcus Perez that was supposed to take place. Spicely was removed from the event, again, a few days out. Uh, he had health issues related to his weight cut. He took to Twitter, actually, and addressed this just a little bit. Uh, this was apparently his first weight cut while being on some new antidepressant medication which he started taking as a result of the head trauma he suffered in his fight with Duran Wynn. 
and just hasn't quite figured that out yet. Um, anytime you wind up on medication like that that can alter your body chemistry, yeah, it's, especially if we're talking about weight cutting issues, it can be a real thing. So uh, hopefully he's able to get a handle on his life more so than fighting. That's always more important than their careers, is you know, their lives and their quality of life. So Anyway, he pulled out, so stepping in to replace Perez was Charles Ontiveros. Uh, this was supposed to be at a catchweight bout. Uh, something happened with Ontiveros. He was deemed ineligible to compete. So the fight was canceled. Um, now that all led us into... Uh, to say nothing of a couple... Uh, these, uh, there were a couple of other fighters who couldn't make the trip due to COVID issues. Uh, a couple of South Korean fighters. Uh, Jun Young Park and Da Eun Jung had to pull out of their fights. That was slightly older, though. Um, so, we lost a couple of fights. We were going ahead with... I think they were scheduled for a nine-fight card. After all the after the fights fell out, after you know, people... And then, in the middle of the broadcast at one point... In fact, right before Trevin Giles was supposed to fight... I'm oh, sorry. The day before the event, or the day of. This, oh, no, this was the day of. At the, you know, the day of the event, they revealed that Gerald Mershart and Ed Herman were pulled after Mershart, po after Mershart tested positive for COVID. So, that led us to nine fights. On the, I mean, after the 15-fight card the week before, being down to, you know, nine was kind of nice. Then at the event, right before they're about the time they're supposed to walk out, the fight between Trevin Giles and Kevin Holland was called off after Giles fainted backstage. Long story short, when it's all said and done, you have this event featured eight fights. I did not know what to do with myself. This whole event from start to finish lasted, started, at, the broadcast started at five my time. It wrapped up before, right, before right around ten, so, again, like four hours and change, somewhere between four, probably about four, somewhere between four and a half and five, something like that. Uh, this was the shortest number... I mean, when they were going with nine, they were on, like, the lowest number of fights since uh, Dillashaw fought Joe Soto. Those of you who remember that event. This might be... Eight fights is, I think, the lowest... One of the lowest ever in UFC history, if not the lowest. Uh, this event was cursed in all kinds of ways as far as it pertains to that... Another bit of a side note, I don't I haven't confirmed this. But there were so many low blows over the course of this fight, we started keeping track. My final count was I think 8 or 9. Uh the commentary team was one ahead of me. I think they counted one or two that didn't get officially acknowledged. But we might have genuinely set the record for the number of most low blows that took place over a UFC event here too since they've been categorized as being illegal. A um, lot of guys got kicked in the crotch. Some more than once. So, 
just a weird event as far as all that goes. So when it was all said and done again, only eight fights. Uh, but let's talk about the fight. Let's move on to the fights themselves because again, weird, weird event. In your main event, Derek Brunson defeated Edmund Shabazian via TKO 326 of the third. It was a competitive first round. I leaned towards Brunson. I saw other people lean towards Shabazian. I think there's a very real argument for either man in the first. But the longer this fight went, the more Brunson kind of started pulling away. He was transitioning between phases, I think, in a way that Brunson or that uh, Shabazian, I don't know if it just caught him off guard. If it, if he just struggles with that more generally, if he's got to be in one mode than in the other, rather than blending, striking to grappling to takedowns to clinch work to etc. If he struggles with blending rather, than, whereas Brunson wasn't. Um, Brunson's kind of just physicality, working the clinch and just constantly changing up from striking. Then as soon as Shabazian kind of gets set and starts swinging, he changes levels, uh, he roughs him up on the ground as he's getting back up to his feet, just, you know, all of that. It just kind of overwhelmed Shabazian as the fight was going on. Uh, end of the second, Brunson with a big flurry from top position, he was in half guard, landed some elbows, punches, there's a bit of a flash KO there to Shabazian. The round ends, and Shabazian... There's a lot of people who've said the referee, Herb Dean in this case, should have waved the fight off. I'm not saying if he had, I would have complained. But once you get to between rounds, again, it's not that you can't wave the fight off there, especially if you, especially if the fighter is, you know, visibly hurt. And it's not that Shabazian wasn't hurt, but if you look at the end of this fight, or the, the end of that round, Shabazian's hurt... But Derek Brunson gets up off of him, and Shabazian gets up on his own power. He's not dragged by his uh, corner. He's not helped. Uh, he stands up. He walks to his own corner under his own power. He's a little... He's Again, he's wobbly, but he is not... He's not exhibiting the kinds of symptoms that I think if you're a ref, you look at between rounds and go, okay, we're done. You know, you've got to be unable to stand, un unresponsive to commands. And, again, I don't know how... Act, how I'll say this. I don't know the specific guidelines for if there is any difference in terms of stopping a fight between rounds if you're the ref versus in the middle of a round. I don't know if there's a difference. It seems like in practice there is a difference. If you're going to get stopped between rounds by the ref... The fighter either has, and we're talking about just the ref to the fighter, the fighter either has to say they're done or physically be incapable of responding to commands. or And which is a very different, which is different from how they treat in the middle of a fight, right? Sure, if you meet any of those criteria in the midst of a fight, the fight is over. But there's a lot more that goes into how they have to determine a safe stoppage when you're in imminent physical peril versus what goes on between rounds. And there might be a policy in place of, you know, again, if the fighter gets up on their own and gets to their corner, 
you know, you let them try to fight. I, I don't know. I'm, and there's a very real lack of transparency when it comes to commission rulings on stuff like this. So, I'm speculating. I'll freely admit that. Shabazian gets back to his corner, and to the shock of no one, his corner does nothing to potentially protect their fighter after that bit of head trauma. Uh, for those of you unaware, his Shabazian's coach is Edmund Tarverdian, who is, put it this way, his coaching record consists of fighters, uh, the success his fighters have found is largely a product of their own natural ability, more so than, I think, any of his particular insight. And there are fighters who, if you look at their skill sets, if, if they move to his camp, seem to have regressed uh, actively in a few cases. So his corner kind of tries to puff him back up and then sends him out. Herb Dean did call in the doctor to take a look at him. He responded to the doctor's questions in all the right ways, and they, so they started the round again. They started the third round. I know Herb's getting a lot of... Again, there's some flack like, well, he should have stopped the fight. I'm again, I'm not saying if he stops that fight, it's wrong. I'm saying when you get to the between rounds time, it does muddy the waters a little bit. Whether it should or not, I don't know. I don't know the written procedures. I don't know the guidelines. I don't know... So, I'm not in a position to say, chat, you know, go down the lines of the rules and say these ones were violated, these procedures were not followed, etc., etc. But there's also a giant amount of blame if we're talking about non-stoppages here that needs to fall on the corner. Because that is their job. And I know that there's some plate there's some corners who don't think that that's their job is to potentially stop the fighter, protect their fighter. I know there's some fighters who don't think that's what their corner's job is. I hate to break it to you, they are mistaken. It is. His corner should have stopped that fight. Uh, now again, if the ref stops it, I don't disagree with that. The doctor came in and checked on him. I don't... What I'm about to say is going to sound very odd, so bear with me here while I say while I kind of complete the thought. Having the physician come in and check on fighters is necessary, ethically, legally, and those are kind of the two main considerations, right? You want the you want to feel good about what's going on ethically, and having a physician there check on the fighters on occasion is important to the ethical considerations. It is important legally because it is required. It is important morally because, again, even if we're to even if we're to separate ethics and morality, it is the moral thing at a bare minimum to ensure there is a significant degree of medical attention and medical personnel on staff on site for physical events like this. So, it, so it's very very important on all levels, and I I do think that's important to acknowledge. What I'm less clear on is... I don't know how to say this. Because I... Alright. Here, here's, how, here's how I think I, I should say this. 
Fighters lie to everyone. Fighters are tremendous liars. When the doctor goes up to Shabazian and asks him various questions, the doctor is trying to ascertain not only you know, uh, at face medical information, he's gonna have, he has to try and de- kind of parse through what the fighter's saying and whether or not they're being honest because fighters, by their own admission, again, lie all the time. They will lie about whether or not they can see the number of fingers you're holding up. They will try to cheat that particular test. They will always say they want to fight. Pretty, Always, in this case, not 100% value, but close enough that I'm rounding, right? They're very, very rarely going to say, no, I'm done, because they're going to be castigated publicly if they do. I mean, look at all the crap that was thrown at uh, the Max Roshkop for saying he was done. publicly castigated for acknowledging that there's no point in me taking a further beating. I mean, shame on the community, uh, on the segment of the community that put shade that man's way for that. Shame on you. But the incentive structure is very clear. So they're going to lie. If there's not an immediate major medical issue, uh, I mean, nigga, well, was that doctor, and I don't mean this to throw... I don't know the doctor, right? Um, so let me ask this the broadest way possible. Doctors will stop fights for a handful of reasons. Uh, most of those are cut-related. Occasionally you'll get other kinds of injuries. But usually those are so self-evident that they tend to be stopped via the official, not the referee. Or, excuse me, not the doctor. And then that will also vary from state to state. In some states, the doctor doesn't have the authority to stop the fight. The doctor makes a recommendation to the referee, and the referee is the one that stops the fight. I don't know if that's a legal issue for why it's set up that way, but I know there are places that do that. So there's... When was the last, when was the last time you saw a doctor stop a fight for something other than a broken bone a serious laceration or some kind of serious joint trauma. When was the last time a doctor came in between rounds, checked on a fighter and said, no, he's concussed, we're done. I don't know that I've ever seen it. Straight up. I might be wrong. Maybe I'm just not remembering certain... It might have happened in boxing where the doctor will just look at a fighter and how things are going and say, no, we're done. I don't know. I, I might, again, I, I have not seen every event ever across the totality of combat sports. No one has. Uh, not even the Vontor Grabaka hitman. So, I don't know that it has never happened. I have never, I cannot recall ever seeing the doctor stop a fight for something other than, again, a broken bone which they don't always stop them for either. They don't even they don't always know that there's a broken bone, a you know, a blown out knee. But again, most of the time when that happens, it's uh, it's not the doctor's decision. It winds up being the referee's because of how that kind of plays out. But if we're not talking about something broken or badly cut or badly swollen, especially around the eyes. When was the last time a doctor stopped a fight? When was the last time a doctor shined the light in a fighter's eyes and went, no, the fighter is concussed, fights off? 
I don't know that I've ever seen it. I really don't. So when the doctor came in to check on Shabazi in here, the cut was not bad enough to warrant a stop. It was a small cut. All right. I just, I have a really hard time seeing that scenario play out in a way where the doctor looks at him and goes, no, you are concussed, the head trauma was too much, we're done. I don't, I just, I don't see that happening. So now, if the coroner won't stop it, and the doctor won't stop it, given the considerations we're under, it comes down to the referee. So, let me ask you this, if you're in the referee's position. This might sound, and look, I was fairly critical of Herb Dean when it came to the event last week. So this isn't like I'm some, I'm not going to bat for Herb Dean every time. But we're now at the end. Uh, we have now had the conclusion of the second round. The fighter got up under their own power, walked to the correct corner, was responsive to questions. You called the doctor in after that minute time period was up. The doctor gave his okay. The fighter wants to continue. If at that point you wave off that fight... Now again, I don't know. I just... I, I, I don't see that ever really happening from a practical standpoint because you now have three other people saying it's okay. You have the fighter themselves who wants to continue, says they want to continue. And again, is the fighter lying about that? I don't know. Most of the time, they do want it, fighters do want to continue. It's just part of who they are. So the fighter says they want to continue. Their corner says they want their fighter to continue. And the doctor says the fighter can continue. You would be acting in direct contradiction, you know, contravention of three other individuals whose job it is ostensibly... Okay, now the, okay, the fighter looking out for their own best interest, maybe not. But at least those two others, their job is to look out for the fighter's safety. In the case of the doctor, explicitly so. Right, you, can, you can get into a stupid argument about corners. And some corners might even, again, have an incorrect assessment of their responsibilities as it relates to cornering and the safety of their fighter. Fine. The doctor has no ulterior motive, theoretically. And I'll give the doctor the benefit of the doubt, right? The doctor's only concern is the health and safety of the fighter. So you've got everyone saying the fight can continue. To stand up against all of that in that moment and say no fights off, I don't know who would have... Again, I am, I'm not here to say Herb Dean is a perfect referee. I don't know any referee who under those circumstances would have waved off that fight right then. Maybe I'm wrong, okay? I'll acknowledge that. Maybe I am incorrect. But at that moment, I don't know anyone that would have. I just don't. And I'm not asking you all to agree with me on this. You can say, he should have, you can say that fight should have been waved off as soon as that second round ended. And again, there was a flash KO there. If he had stopped, if Herb Dean had stopped that fight at 4.59 of the second, I don't think anyone would have complained. Uh, I wouldn't have, certainly. But at the end of the round, Shabazian got up on his own. That mean, I mean, you might be going, well, so what? That does mean something. He went to the correct corner. He responded to his coaches. He responded to the doctor. 
that all does play into the decision-making process here. Otherwise, why are they there? Otherwise, why not let the fighter drag, let the fighter's corner drag them to their corner? Otherwise, why not let them crawl? Why not let them just kind of lay there and get instruction? These these things all do matter. So they start the third round, and to Herb Dean's eternal credit, Brunson gets a takedown very quickly, gets the back again, and is kind of punching. And it nothing Brunson lands in that finishing sequence is all that damaging. He doesn't knock him out, but at the between the way the second round ended and the way this round started, uh, he waved off the fight. I. Again, had this fight been stopped at the very end of the second before the round ended, I would not have complained. Had it been waved off between rounds, I don't know. I think I would have tried to defend it. I would have tried to understand it, if nothing else. I... It is the... It was in the kind of circumstance where I think someone stopping that fight between rounds would have been perfectly appropriate, especially especially Shabazian's corner. But corner stoppages are essentially not a thing in MMA. And they won't be until somebody gets seriously hurt or killed. I think that's just kind of the way that is. The MMA community at large, the regulators, the fan base, the promoter, the fighters, the corners, the refs, everybody. We're not going to have that we're not going to have that come to Jesus moment until somebody dies. And I that is going to be a tragedy. It's going to be a preventable tragedy but I think that's what it's going to take. Uh, so I, point being, I do want to give Herb credit for the stoppage here. He didn't wait for Shabazian to get into a worse position. He didn't wait for him to take 20 shots. He, this was a mercy stoppage at that point, and I think it was the correct move at that point. Again, if you want, I, I just don't really think any any other ref would have stopped that fight between rounds. If you want to say there are refs who might have stopped that fight before the end of the second, okay, I'll buy that. But by the time we hit that second round, if any other ref watches Shabazian get up on his own, walk to his corner on his own, they're not going to wave that fight off. They're just not. So, Shabazian... Uh, so, Brun- again, Brunson looks good. One of the better performances of Brunson's career, in all honesty. I know he's got some significant wins, but if you look at the performance top to bottom... Uh, this was one of his more complete efforts. I don't know where he goes from here specifically. Uh, uh, you could... Uh, I mean, Jack Hermanson's a very viable option. I don't think they've fought yet. Uh, no, they haven't. He has beaten Ian Heinish. He's already lost to Whitaker and Adesanya and Romero. I mean, in fairness, you know, those are some of his only losses in the UFC. I, I mean, sorry, look, look, this is something else. You know, we all, and I'll, I'm guilty of this, right? I have kind of clowned on Derek Brunson a little bit at times for some of his fighting choices. 
And he brought some of that on himself. Okay, fair enough. But here's kind of the reality of Brunson. Brunson's first ever loss was a split decision to Kendall Grove in 2012. I haven't seen the fight, but split means it probably could have gone his way. Again, without seeing the fight in question, I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that one alone. His only other losses are to the following people: Jacare Souza, former Strikeforce middleweight champion and should have fought for the UFC middleweight title; Yoel Romero. Very easily could have been, if not champion, certainly one of the toughest outs in the sport, in that division. Robert Whitaker, former champion. Israel, excuse me, Anderson Silva, a fight I thought he won, by the way. I thought the decision in that fight was terrible. But Anderson Silva, former champion. Jacare again. And then Israel Adesanya current champion. Brunson might have a lot of... Brunson might have exploitable habits, and some of his... some of his technical stuff is... borders on the ugly. Especially if you're looking at the way he kind of enters the clinch, if you're against it, he kind of leads with his chin. But... just because those holes exist doesn't mean everyone can exploit them. You have to be very, very good to beat Derek Brunson. And that does deserve to be acknowledged. I think I acknowledged that last week, but I want to reiterate it here if I didn't. If I didn't, say it now, and if I did, reiterate it. So Brunson and Hermanson is probably a fight that should be on the radar, especially with how some of the other fights have been booked. Um, For Shabazian, uh, he was undefeated coming into this. It's a setback. Um, sometimes the young undefeated phenom fighter, when they take the first step up, when they took, inevitably when they take one of their steps up in competition, some of them rise to the occasion. I mean, again, I just mentioned the Adesanya Brunson fight. That is a superb performance from Adesanya when he stopped Brunson. Uh, I mean, Whitaker was not a young undefeated phenom at that point. Um... Oh, okay, here's another one. Stephen Thompson, when he fought Matt Brown, uh, hit a roadblock. You know? How do you come back from it? Does this become a complete... Does this completely derail everything about you and your game and your career, or is it a learning experience that you grow from? I don't know what's going to happen with Shabazian after this. He might... He is still very young. He still has a lot of ability. I mean... I know Brunson is like a near, th- a near. He was almost about a three-to-one dog, certainly over two, depending on where you were. Might have been a little extreme. In fact, in hindsight, horribly extreme. But it's not like Shabazian's hype was the product of. I put it this way. He earned it, right? He wasn't beating up nobodies. He. He didn't come into the UFC and have one good fight and get catapulted into this. He had a tough fight in his UFC debut with Darren Stewart, but he won. He smashed Charles Bird in less than 40 seconds. He submitted Jack Marshman. Okay, now those guys, are they top-tier fighters? No. Are they... They're guys with UFC wins, though. 
So does Darren Stewart, by the way. Darren Stewart has UFC wins. Those are those are not easy fights. And for a guy, I mean, he was coming into the Marshman fight, he was nine and zero. You know, a nine and zero fighter against Jack Marshman, who's a veteran. It's an appropriate fight, and he blew him out of the water. Takes a step up in competition and fights Brad Tavares and smashes him in two and a half minutes. Knocks him out with a really nice head kick. Shabazian's hype built because of his performances and the people he was beating. Not really because of anything else. And that's how you want hype to build. You know, you look at you look at guys who are total hype jobs and then guys who have built hype around them because of what they've been doing in the cage. Shabazian earned his hype by beating people decisively. And then he ran into a guy he couldn't beat on that particular night. Uh, again, as for what's next for him, uh, you could do him and uh, Darren Till. They both lo- they're both coming off of losses, but... Uh, again, that's a fight you can do. Part of the problem with Shabazian and where he landed here in terms of his run-up is he's going to drop, but he's also not going to... He's not going to get a lot... He's going to be... A, he's still going to be ranked, and he's not going to get a lot of... There's not a lot of soft options. So, again, you have Till out there as a possible opponent. Let me see who the where the rankings currently stand for middleweight. Because he came into this ranked 9. He's gonna, he's probably going to drop a little bit. Um, you have Uriah Hall floating at 10. Shabazzian and Hall could work. Uh, you have Brad Tavares, Omar Yakhmedov, Ian Heinish, Marvin Vittori, uh, Shoeface, Antonio Carlos Jr. And if he's going to fight up, you could do Till. You could do Shabazzian and Gastelum. I know Gaslam's coming off of the loss. Hermanson's all the way up at number four. So again, Hermanson and Brunson, maybe you could do. Uh, you could do. Uh, so for Shabazzian, you're probably going to fight somebody lower. So depending on how far he falls, maybe Uriah Hall, Marvin Vittori uh, as a possibility. Omar Yakmedov has a fight coming up, and if Akhmedov beats, because he's fighting Chris Weidman. So if Akhmedov beats Weidman, he's probably going to wind up looking for a bigger fight than Shabazian, but then again, they might give him Shabazian. So there's options for him here, but by virtue of his ranking, he's not going to... You're not going to get kind of a soft reset here. He's probably going to be fighting another ranked opponent after this, depending on how far he falls. If they drop him all the way down to like 14, then okay, there's probably guys outside of the rankings that you could make that fight with, but... Uh, yeah, we'll, we're just going to have to see how he rebounds. So, big win for Brunson. Setback for Shabazian, but... A lone setback is not the end of the world. If it turns out he goes completely off the rails, then we can reevaluate that. But in and of itself, uh, not not the end of the world. Uh, let's see. Co-main event. Jennifer Maya submitted Joanne Calderwood with an armbar. 429 of the first. Um... Pfft. Sucks for Joanne Calderwood, man. Uh, that really sucks for her. Uh, she had a title shot. They had booked her and Valentina Shevchenko. 
and then Shevchenko had a knee injury. So they postponed it, and rather than wait for another date for that fight, Calderwood took this fight. And just, she did not, Joanne Calderwood did not look very good here. Maya was getting to her in and out. She was getting in, going body to head. And Calderwood's defense is fairly porous. Uh, Maya was tagging her pretty constantly. Calderwood gets a takedown. Uh, Maya gets an arm bar. She has to adjust it a few times. It is a really nice finishing sequence. But Maya, big win for her. She, the, the big cloud hanging over Maya is that she missed weight in her two previous fights to this one. So, I mean, fly, women's flyweight is such a like non-entity of a division that I'm not sure it's going to matter. Shevchenko, after the fact, you tweeted out, I'll see you soon, to Jennifer Maya. And, I mean, I don't know what what else you're going to do with that division. Uh, your, your current number one contender, according to the rankings, is Caitlin Chukagian, who got massacred by Shevchenko. Cynthia Calvillo after that, then Joanne Calderwood, who just lost, so that she's going to drop. Lauren Murphy at four, Jessica I at five. Then Jennifer Maya at six, so Maya's going to rise. Um, you might just do Maya. You might... What did Calvillo do? She had a fight recently. I think she won. Yeah, she beat Jessica I. Not a very good fight, though. Um, they so you might jump up for Calvillo um, if you don't want to do Maya, but yeah, it, it's not a great division. It just isn't. I I don't really have any other way to say that. So good win for Maya. I she might parlay this into a title shot. Wouldn't surprise me. And I don't think it matters. I, I'm not picking anyone in that division to beat Valentina Shevchenko. I'm just not. Uh, Vicente Luque defeated Randy Brown via knockout. Knee and punches, 456 of the second. Uh, Vicente Luque does not get respect, man. He is Rodney Dangerfield. The Rodney Dangerfield of welterweight. Uh, Randy Brown had some good moments. He had a good jab, but being up, uh, he just... Anytime he was jabbing, Luke was hitting him with a calf kick. And that will take away your jab very quickly. If every time you have to plant weight and settle your feet to throw the jab, you're getting, you know, a shin slammed into your calf, it's going to go away fairly quickly. Uh, Luke A, just a little bit more firepower, smarter fighter, good finishing sequence. He's kind of holding a kind of a front headlock, kind of a like, little bit of a darse position there against the fence. Brown starts reaching for the mat to kind of get himself down so he won't be need. Uh, Luke holds his head up just high enough to where he can't quite reach the ground, knees him in the head. He drops to a knee. Luke then punches him repeatedly, gets the stoppage. Uh, I get that Luke had the setback to Steven Thompson. But he's oh, he was only ranked 11th coming into this. 
Um, I'm sorry. He should be higher. He should be a lot higher. Um, I don't know why Damian Maya is still ranked. He retired. So yeah, Luca should probably be seven. I mean, I know they made uh, they made Jeff Neal and somebody. They made Jeff Neal and Neil Magny recently. So Luca should be up there fighting guys like. Uh, yeah, he should be ranked higher. He just he, he should. His only losses in the UFC are to Leon Edwards, Stephen Thompson, in his debut fight against Michael Graves. He has a sterling UFC record. And, yeah, just really should be in a bigger, in a better spot than he is. Um, kicking off the main card, Bobby Green defeated Lando Venata of a unanimous decision, 30-27 twice, and then a 30-26. Really good fight. Um, Bobby Green just got going a little bit sooner this time. Got his jab working a little bit sooner. Uh, these two have a really, really interesting clash of styles. They had a really good fight their first time. This was your fight of the night, and I think that's perfectly acceptable. Uh, it really, A really good, solid all-around performance from Bobby Green. On the prelims, Jonathan Martinez defeated Frankie Signs via TKO knee and punches, 57 seconds of the third. Martinez missed weight for this fight rather badly. He came in at 140 and a half for a bantamweight fight. Uh, not a... That's a pretty bad miss. And he was visibly bigger than Signs. Uh, he was a little bit better than Signs everywhere. The finish came when Signs tried to blitz him. He just timed a knee very well, dropped him with it, then pounded him out. He, I think he threw a 10-8 onto Signs in the second, dropped him a few different times. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Martinez is pretty legit. If he can get his weight under control, I mean, he's... What's his loss in the UFC? He's only got two losses in the UFC. Uh, his debut against Andre Sukumtot and then a split decision against Andre Ewell that very easily could have gone his way. Uh, he's a t he's a tough out. He's a real he's a really good fighter. Uh, let's see. Nathan Manus defeated Johnny Munoz via unanimous decision, 29-27 across the board. Uh, Munoz was deducted a point in the third round after I believe his third groin strike to Manus. Uh, I think I, I might have scored this a draw, but I'm not sure I was correct. Uh, I, I don't. It was, it was a fairly unremarkable fight. Uh, Jamal Emmers defeated Vincent Cachero via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Uh, solid performance from Emmers. Uh, Emmers had a rough draw in his UFC debut. Uh, he rebounded here a little bit. Again, he was supposed to fight Timur Valiev, which sucked that that fight fell apart, but uh, yeah, solid enough performance out of Emmers, and then kicking everything off, Chris Gutierrez and Cody Durden went to a unanimous draw, 28-28 on all three cards. Uh, I was 28-28. I've seen the notion floating around that the third round should have been a 10-8 for Gutierrez. I am somewhat sympathetic to the argument. Um, but Gut Durden spent, like, five minutes of the first round, or if not five, then well over four minutes just on the back of Gutierrez in the, set, in the first round. And 
I think Gutierrez landed all of one strike in that round. Uh, sorry, man. You lost that by a wide enough margin, margin to justify the 10-8. And then, I, I am not unsympathetic to the argument that Gutierrez maybe could have had a 10-8 third, but it was a lot less clear than the first, if we're talking about how, if we're talking about just, you know, what judges are looking for in terms of giving 10-8s. That uh, sucks for Gutierrez, but uh, that's kind of, a little bit of that's on him. He had no real urgency in that first round to get Durden off of his back. And if you're going to accept your back being taken for, again, four minutes and, you know, 40 seconds or whatever it was, a long time, if you don't do something to kind of counteract that a little bit in that round, you're going to lose 10-8. And then you've got, you're in a hole. Then you're in a big hole. And I don't think he fought the way you need to to try and overcome that kind of a deficit. And credit to Durden for hanging tough. In the, I mean, again, the third, if you want to tell me that you scored that 10-8 for Gutierrez, I don't disagree all that much. It's not how I went, but I don't think it's wrong. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, that was the fights, uh, such as they were. Some good stuff there. But uh, a really, really... A card just full of chaos. Just full of it. Um, Alright, let's move on to this upcoming event, UFC on ESPN Plus 32. How many fights are on this card? Hang on, I... Because there's a few of these that listed as being announced but aren't placed yet. Let's count here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Uh, so I think we have a 13 fight card. Alright. Anyway, your main event. Heavyweight fight. Derek Lewis, Alexi Olenek. I don't know what to think about this. Uh, Derek Lewis has been out for a while. Uh, no, sorry. He had the fight with Elio Latifi. I thought he lost that fight. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I, re I seem to recall scoring that for Latifi. Just It's heavyweight, though. Uh, and Olenek had that split decision with Verdum. Again, I scored that for him. Um, the longer this goes, the worse it's going to get. Let's all just hope it ends quickly. I don't know who to pick here. Derek Lewis has pretty good takedown defense. But if he does get down, his method of getting up exposes his back. And you can get away with that fighting a lot of guys at heavyweight. Olenek's one of the few who will just take your back. Um, neither guy has great cardio. Neither guy has great technique. Uh, if Lewis lands first, he'll win. If Olenek closes distance, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll pick Olenek because it amuses me. Uh, but, yeah, I'm... I 
I'm not especially jazzed about that fight. Uh, middleweight fight in your co-main event, Chris Weidman and Omari Akhmedov. Weidman coming down after getting smashed by Dominic Reyes up at light heavyweight. Weidman has just one win in his last six fights. And he's been stopped in all of those losses, some of them badly. In fact, all of those badly. Good grief. Because Rockhold abused him. Romero knocked him out cold with the knee. Musasi stopped him with knee strikes. Souza knocked him out with punches. Reyes hammer-fisted him into unconsciousness. Uh, Akhmedov's a little bit up and down. Hasn't lost, really, in a while. He hasn't lost since coming back to middleweight. He fought to a draw with Marvin Vittori. I mean, I should pick Chris Weidman, but I can't pick Weidman at this point. I just, even against someone like Akhmedov, who, you know, five years ago, that's not even close. Three years ago, that's probably not even all that close. I can't do it. I'm gonna, so I'm going to pick Akhmedov, but if Weidman can't win this fight, he's in real trouble. Uh, there's another middleweight fight, this one between Darren Stewart and uh, Maki Patolo. This was supposed to be somebody else, wasn't it? I feel like this was supposed to be Stewart against a different fighter. Might be mistaken, though. Um, Patolo, tough guy, heavy hands. Uh, Stewart. Stewart's had a really weird UFC run. I mean, he's technically on the losing end of his career. I'm going to pick Stewart, but I think that's because Patolo will be very accommodating of his style of fighting more than anything else. Women's bantamweight fight, Yana Kunitskaya against Julia Stoliarenko. Uh, Stoliarenko on a pretty good winning streak. Um, has one fight in the UFC, actually. She lost at the Ultimate Fighter 28 finale. I covered that, but I can't remember anything about that fight. It was a split decision. Eh, anyway. She's on a pretty good uh, streak at the moment. She hasn't lost since that fight. So she's won five in a row? Yeah. Um, guy is a fairly tough out. I'm going to pick Kunitskaya, but I'm not sure. Again, we're talking about women's bantamweight, and there's not a tremendous amount of... You get outside the top three fighters in that division, there's a lot of parity. Uh, lightweight Benil Dariush will fight Scott Holtzman. Surprisingly good fight there, actually. Um, Dariush coming off that knockout win over Drakkar Close. Uh, Holtzman, I think, last beat Jim Miller means I can never pick him again, just out of hit my anger at him beating Jim Miller. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, I am going to pick Daryush, but that's more because Daryush is a very tough fighter. <laughs> He's a real tough out. He's got good striking, good power, good wrestling, great jiu-jitsu. He's not easy to beat. Uh, I mean, neither is Scott Holtzman, but I, I kind of like Daryush's chances here. 
As for the prelims, Tim Means will fight Loriano Staropoli. That could be a good little brawl. Um, Staropoli only has the one loss in the UFC, that coming to Muslim Salikov. Uh, whereas Means... Means always good for, you know, a kind of rough-and-tumble brawl. He last fought in February and was submitted by Daniel Rodriguez. I'm going to lean towards Staropoli here, but th that could be a good little fight. Um, Nasrat Hakparast is back. He hasn't been seen since Drew Dober knocked him out. It was back in January. Uh, he'll fight Alexander Munoz. Actually, we'll pick Hakparast there. I still kind of think he's got some good upside. At middleweight, Andrew Sanchez against Wellington Terman. UFC is just bound and determined to try and make Sanchez a thing. Um, despite the fact that his wins aren't all that interesting and his losses have been pretty bad. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pick him here. I, th I think they're trying to kind of build him back up. And I won't be shocked if he loses, but it seems like there's kind of an effort being made on the matchmaking there to give him more winnable fights at the moment. Uh, featherweight Gavin Tucker and Justin James. That might be an interesting fight. Uh, probably going to go with Tucker there. Uh, I mean, he only has the one loss, and granted that was a bad loss, but he seems to have come back from that. Um, Yusuf Zalal and Peter Barrett. I'll pick uh, excuse me, Zalal there. Erwin Rivera and Al Alcasey. I don't know. Rivera. Um, Nadia Kassem and Miranda Granger. They're not, these aren't UFC debutantes, but uh, Kassem has gone 1 and 2 in the UFC. Uh, Granger, I think, 1 and 1. Uh, I'll pick Kassem, but eh. Again, low women's strawweight's a good division, but we're still dealing with the lower end of the kind of spectrum there. And then Alex Caceres and Giga Chikadze, that will probably feature more prominently on the card. Uh, I will pick Chikadze there. It's not that he's a, he's a perfect fighter, but Caceres likes to do a lot of stuff that will play into what Chikadze likes to do. So I'm, I'm going to go with Chikadze there. Uh, all right, that will be UFC on ESPN plus 32. Couple of decent fights. Stewart and Patola will probably be a fun little striking exchange. Darius and Holtzman has potential. Uh, Means and Staropoli really kind of stands out to me. I'm, I'm a little surprised that's not on the main card, but when everything's on ESPN plus, this being the prelims in this case being on ESPN and ESPN plus, giving them that. Visibility to close out that portion of the broadcast. I can see it. Uh, okay. That is... Yeah, that will be taking place on Saturday. Uh, I will have coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so please do stop by and say hello. I always appreciate... I know some of the times there's not a lot to discuss or talk about, but I appreciate you guys commenting anyway. That's kind of... That's kind of how I gauge... Uh, if anyone's reading, I could get my, you know, traffic metrics if I asked for it, but partially I'm afraid to look at those, I think, just to see how little anyone <laughs> clicks on my stuff. So 
I'll just I'll take the comment section when I can get it, and thank you guys for that. Okay, uh, news. Some fights been moved around. UFC, uh, the fight between J- Khabib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gagey for the lightweight title. Uh, they had, an, I think, they announced last week, sometime in September, that got bumped to October twenty fourth. I'm okay with that. I've mentioned this in the past. Khabib should take as much time as he needs or wants. Uh, following the death of his father, if he. Uh, I, I'm not going to throw anything negative at him at all about his timetable for return. If it gets to a crazy point, I might get on the UFC for not stripping him of the title, but we're not even close to that point here. Not even close. Uh, it's still a good fight. Still looking forward to it. Uh, and October might be a more reasonable timetable for his return. It'll still be a great fight. Hopefully it holds together. Um, kind of tangent related to this, I've seen uh, some renewed interest or some renewed chatter around Khabib versus GSP because Khabib said he wants to retire at thirty after thirty fights, so theoretically at thirty and zero. The Gaethje fight will be twenty nine, um, and that's a not an easy fight. That's a Justin Gaethje is a brutal fight for anybody, even if you beat him, you go you're going through a wood chipper. Uh, so, he's kind of sad again for 30, and, you know, the GSP thing is kind of rearing its head again. Um, I'll say this. I'm not the biggest fan of that fight. Lightweight is too good a division. But, there are circumstances under which, I mean, look, if you want to make money, that George brings an enormous amount of value financially. He just does. You know the UFC wants the Connor rematch, but Khabib does not seem to want that. He does, and look, when I say he doesn't want that, I don't mean that he's afraid of Connor. I mean Khabib seems there are smart when we come to the fight promotion and understanding how the game works. Khabib is a is a very smart fighter in that respect. There's a lot of guys who, you know, their animosity for McGregor would still exist even after beating him, and they could be goaded into that fight. Or the prospect of the financial return would be so great they'd go for it. Khabib's stance seems to be, no, I hate that guy, and I hate him so much I never want to even give him another shot at the money we would make together. I mean, and that is a that is a giant screw you. I mean, more so than you know, smash. Even if they fought and Khabib won again, he derives more satisfaction from denying McGregor the opportunity to make that amount of money and to fight for the title than he would from punching him in the face. There's a degree to which Khabib just gets part of this game, because that's the biggest screw you you can give to anybody. It's not, it's not I hate you so much I want to hurt you. It's I hate you so much I don't want to fight you. Because I don't want to give you the monetary compensation for doing so. If, you, if you're not going to make the Connor rematch, George would be the biggest fight monetarily you could make. I don't know how much I like George's chances at that if it's at 155. 
GSP would be going for... Okay, I'm going to say this. If GSP... If that fight gets made and GSP wins, that would be the most impressive thing I've seen in mixed martial arts. It would not only be his third title in the UFC. It would be his third across three different weight classes. He would be coming off of another layoff of about four years. That fight with uh, that fight with Bisbing, where he won the middleweight belt, that was after about a four-year layoff. This would be about that same time. So we're dealing with, again, another significant layoff, and you would not be fighting Michael Bisping. Uh, no disrespect intended to Michael Bisping. A study in perseverance, a gritty fighter, a UFC champion with one eye, like, there's, there's a lot of accolades you can deservedly throw the way of Michael Bisping. Fighting Michael Bisping for the middleweight title when he did is not at all the same as fighting Khabib. Bisping, even when he won the belt, was a little bit past his prime. He was a little bit washed. There's a reason he retired not long after the fight with George. He's, he's just, he was just a little bit past it. Doesn't mean he didn't deserve the title win. He knocked out the champion. End of discussion. But he's not even close to the monster that Khabib is. You're going to tell me George at, he'd be about 40. At about 40 years of age, with another four-year layoff, could cut to lightweight for the first time in his career, fight an undefeated 29-0 monster in his physical prime and win I defy you to find a more impressive accomplishment if George could pull that off um, now again lightweight is too good a division I think to make that fight without a few other things falling into place so again not only so first Khabib has to get by Justin Gagey is a significant task. There's still an appetite for the for his fight with Tony Ferguson, I think. It's not going to mean what it could have meant. It just isn't. But I do think there's people that still want to see that fight. I do. But and this Tony's looking for another fight. I, the two names being tossed around as a potential opponent for Tony Ferguson are Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Now, I might favor Tony to win both of those fights. But, though, I would not be surprised if either of those gentlemen beat him. And if Tony loses again to either of those guys who have already been definitively bested by Khabib and Khabib Khabib beats Gagey, who's next? Look at Lightweight real fast. Because right now your rankings, you have Khabib as champion, Gagey as interim champion, Poirier, Ferguson, McGregor, Hooker, Oliveira, Felder... Fajaya, Iaquinta, Kevin Lee, Makachev, Gillespie, Cerrone, Darius Dover. Okay, so 
Are you going to do Dan Hooker next? I don't have anything against Hooker, but he just lost to Poirier. If Khabib beats Gagey, and if Tony loses another fight to either Poirier or McGregor, that does kind of clear the road for GSP, doesn't it? He will have beaten the other, he will have beaten the next, you know, three or four guys, and the next guy down on back-to-back losses, that does kind of open, that, do, that is the parting of the Red Sea a little bit there, isn't it? If that transpires. Now, again, if Tony, say, gets the McGregor fight and just turns his face into a Picasso painting and says, I got next... I don't care that I lost to Gagey. I still want my title shot. Okay. Make that fight. I still do want to see Khabib and Tony. I mean, anybody with half a brain does. But I'm not going to pretend I can't see a scenario wherein the UFC decides, okay, Khabib's leaving at 30-0. We want to cash out. Let's make the biggest monetary fight we can that all parties are willing to go along with, that would be the GSP fight. I'm just saying. Would I like it? Not especially. But I'm not going to pretend I can't see a, I cannot see a path for that to occur. Because I can't. I mean, that said, if, if either McGregor... If either McGregor or... I, I, I need to take McGregor out of the equation. I don't think Khabib is going to give him that fight. I think Khabib is just going to give him the middle finger and walk away from that. If Poirier knocks out Tony, I mean, I have a really hard time imagining that, but hypothetically, if he has a, a shockingly good performance, maybe you can sell that rematch, but I... I mean, it's not that he didn't have... I mean, he... he uh, Poirier hit Khabib once or twice in their fight, but... That was, that was a pretty typical Khabib performance. You know, what what's going to be different? I don't know. And I, I'm not saying that to slight Dustin Poirier. That's mostly Khabib and being, and being an incredibly difficult guy to beat. All right, other bits of news. Uh, we have a fight between uh, Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier that was made for UFC 254. One assumes the winner of this fight will fight the winner of Adesanya Costa. That fight, that fight should determine your number one contender at middleweight, uh, pretty clearly. It does leave Jack Hermanson a little bit out in the cold, but somebody was going to be. And I think Hermanson was always kind of going to be the odd man out in that triumvirate. But. If he gets another, if he gets one more win again, if he beats uh, you know, Brunson, he'd probably he should probably be the next guy after that. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, we have a featherweight fight. I'm gonna kind of blend a couple of points here. Uh, the UFC conf- or it was confirmed that Zabit Magomed Sharipov will fight Yair Rodriguez. Uh, UFC on ESPN plus thirty four. That is in August, end of August. Um, they've tried to make that fight a lot, and I hope it gets made. It's supposed to be the main event, and I think that's important. I do need to see Zabit over five rounds. 
Um, Zabit is the better spinning, spinny technique guy. He actually understands the technique. Rodriguez just kind of throws him out there. But if Zabit wins, I think he will get a shot at the title. Uh, so hopefully that fight holds together. Again, the UFC has tried to make that several times. But speaking of the title, um, in the wake of their last fight, and there's been a bit of a, a bit of noise made about the UFC about you know making a third fight between Volkanovski and Holloway. Well, Volkanovski expressed his displeasure at that this week. I think his I think his quote is the quote that circulated was what are we going to do fight just fight until Max wins. And the man has a point. I'm look, I'm not saying that if you scored the second fight between them for Holloway you're wrong. I there's a very very real argument for that. I I scored it for Volkanovski, but that that fight could go either way on the when you're scoring it. It really could. So if if you scored for Holloway, fine. Not the only thing I push back on is anyone that says Holloway was robbed. He was not robbed. That's a close fight. Close fights going to one or the other fighter is are not a robbery. They're just not. But it. it their first fight was, again, competitive, but I maintain their first fight was not all that close. Very competitive fight, but Volkanovski, I thought, clearly won the first fight. This fight? Throw it up in the air, man. That could go to either guy. But is it... <sighs> I hate to say it this way, but, you know... Volkanovski has beaten Max Holloway twice in consecutive fights. I'm not going to blame that man for going, you know what, no. I don't want to fight him. I don't want to fight him again. I beat him twice. What's my upside here? What do I gain from this? Max Holloway is one of the toughest fights you can have at featherweight, if not in the entirety of the UFC. Even if you beat him. You know, I mean, Poirier did a lightweight. Even if you beat that guy, that is a tough night at the office. And Volkanovski has beaten him twice. And again, put aside whatever you think about the second fight and the decision. I'm, I'm asking you to just for the sake of argument, put aside the fact that you might have scored it differently. What does the record book say? Record book says split decision goes to Volkanovski. First fight. Unanimous decision goes to Volkanovski. This was... Look, if this was a straight-up robbery, if you looked at that fight and went, how in the world could you possibly have done that? Then maybe I could see the argument. But this was not a robbery. I... Look, if you think it was, I invite you to re-watch the fight. And do what you have to do and score it round by round. And look, I'll stipulate. First two rounds... Holloway. Clear. Clear as day. Here's my contention to you. Watch rounds three and five and try to score them for Max. Because I don't think you can. 
So we're going to come down to one round swinging it. Um, and honestly, the fact that for all the, I think for the judges, it was the fifth boggles my mind. I don't think you can give Max Holloway that fifth round. I just don't. But you could give him the fourth. I think that was the closest round for me watching. And the time I watched it back. If you come down to a fight where two rounds go to one fighter, two rounds go to the other fighter, and you've got a close round that splits the difference, we're not dealing with a robbery. So I, I am very sympathetic to Volkanovski going, no, I fought this guy twice, and I beat him twice. I, I don't blame him at all for that particular stance. And I... I kind of get Dana White's perspective of, yeah, you can make an argument for Max deserving another crack, but at the end of the day, you lost twice. I'm, I don't know, I'm just, I'm not terribly sympathetic to that. Yeah, second fight, could have gone his way. And I wouldn't have said one word about the decision being bad. I don't think anybody would have. But that's not the way, that's, you can make all kinds of arguments about stuff that didn't happen. Holloway lost. I think the division needs to move on. Now, maybe that means, you know, Max gets what Max gets two wins, and then we get the third fight. Wouldn't shock me. Max Holloway is an exceptional fighter. He could easily win two more fights and force a third with and force another fight with Volkanovski in that same time period. I don't think an immediate rematch is called for here. I not with the first fight being taken into consideration. If this fight had been there first, and Volkanovski wins this hotly contested split decision, sure, immediate rematch. Max Max's body of work in the division deserves it. You have a very, very close fight. This is the second fight. And if you lose the first and the second, especially when it's... it's it is reasonable for Max to lose both of those fights. Right? First fight is not first fight's not really in debate. And the reality is it is reasonable to score their second fight for Volkanovski. I I completely agree with him that he no, I'm not I don't want to fight Max again. I mean, I don't want to fight Max anyway, but I'm not a UFC champion. <laughs> but I I get it. I just I do. The only you know the only people whose opinions matter had him winning twice. Full stop. I I, I would and I want to see both those guys get a break from each other. You know they're that division needs to keep moving. It doesn't need to stagnate at the top of the division until the UFC gets the result they want. And if we get a third fight between them, that's kind of what it feels like, doesn't it? I'm not saying the UFC, in the, the the UFC brass in the back are going, we must have Max Holloway as champion or we don't know what to do with ourselves. But it, it does start to feel a little bit like that, doesn't it? Like the UFC has an outcome they want and they're going to try very hard to get it. So I, I would move them on. You know, give Volkanovski somebody else if you don't want to wait for the winner of Zabit and Rodriguez, which you probably could. That's, you know, end of this month. So I, 
give Volkanovski the winner of Zabit Rodriguez. Give Holloway somebody else. Let's give both of those guys a chance to fight somebody other than each other, you know? Uh, but, you know, that's my take for whatever it's worth. Um, all right. I think that's everything. Let me check Twitter one more time. All right. Nothing crazy is broken. Let's move on to plugs. Uh, what do I have this week? I'm podcasting a lot this month. Uh, let's see. This week, Mark Radlich and I have a review of Keep Your Hands Off, Isoken. Uh, I will be on... I think I have a... It'll either be a source material or a comic strip for... I think that's this month. If it's not this month, it's next. Uh, for The Empty Man, which was an odd read. But there's a movie, in theory, assuming movies ever actually get released again. Uh, so I'm kind of doing both of those. Um, I think we were planning this month for Mark and I to do a live reaction to... In the yeah, so uh, this coming Monday, really? All right, this coming Monday, Mark and I will have a TV party for Keep Your Hands Off Isaacin. Next week on the tenth, I I did not know this was a thing. Apparently, there's the Kentucky Fried Movie. Uh, Mark wants to get my live reaction to that, so we'll watch it and then record. Uh, there will be. Uh, Damn You Hollywood for a Disney Plus movie towards the end of the month. Yeah, so I'm... uh, I'm on, yeah, a few different... uh, I got a fair number of podcasts coming out this month, so you can check out all of my stuff on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. That's where most of those go. Um, you can find my review of my. I'm reviewing the MLW Underground re airings that are going on right now on YouTube. You can find the, my reviews of those in the Wrestling Zone of 411 Mania. And my usual Saturday coverage over in the MMA Zone. So, August, kind of a busy month for me, but. Uh, you know, could be worse. Could be a lot worse. I will see you all next week then for a review of UFC on ESPN Plus 32. And we will be previewing UFC 252. The trilogy ends here. Stipe Miocic, Daniel Cormier for the third and last time. Um, yeah, I'm on a no, no joke, no, you know, no poking fun at the UFC's production. I am looking forward to that fight. I really am. All right. So next week we'll have a full preview of that. Until then. Thanks again, everybody. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.